0: Uh, I have uh, this with me this morning, this, uh, if you can't see it, it's, uh, it's a turtle, it's, uh, I call it, it's my prayer tortuga, so it's my, my prayer turtle, I like to carry it around in my pocket, I, 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 I'm uncertain, I do not know the answer to that, <laughs> it's a prayer turtle, it goes both on land and in the sea, <laughs> but I carry this uh, often to remind me of the fact of the slow work of God the slow work of God and here's a, here's a quote about the slow work of God above all trust in the slow work of God we are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay we should like to skip the intermediate stages we are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet, it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. So, as we enter into this space uh, this morning together, where we're going to look at some scripture and you're going to hear from me, let us remember that uh, God is at work. God is always at work in all as, as Ryan promised earlier that God is present. Uh, God is, my promise is that God is at work in your circumstances right now, whatever they may be, even if it feels like it's going along at a turtle's pace. <laughs> so let's pray. Holy, holy, holy gracious God, uh, we give you thanks for this day that is ours and we thank that, thank you that you are present and we thank you that You are at work, and we pray, Lord, that we might sit in the sometimes slowness of that work and be transformed in it, that we might uh, find that you are working the fruits of the Spirit into our lives, fruits like joy and peace and love and patience and compassion and kindness and goodness, and God, uh, work those fruits into us now as we hear from your word. We pray we might be uh, transformed in the hearing of it. And in the engagement of it, so that you might be working in our hearts ever slowly, to transform us ever more into the likeness of Christ. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Here's the scripture from this morning, Matthew, verses of uh, chapter seven, verses 12 to 14. "In everything, therefore, Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, these scriptures, uh, which come from the Sermon on, on the Mount, come towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, are in a part of the Sermon on the Mount that I kind of consider the uh, epilogue, the wrap-up of the whole Sermon on the Mount, uh, can seem like two disconnected thoughts, right? Like, you know, sometimes it seems like Things are just kind of slapped down in the scriptures, randomly, just we're capturing everything that Jesus said here. And the first one is, treat people like you want to be treated, full stop. And then it's like, oh, a new thought, enter through the narrow gate, blah, 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 blah. But as I was drawn to this scripture, as I was considering what I was going to say this week, and as I reflected on these scriptures, I, I really think they're actually connected in a very deep way. Because what if the way we treat each other is what makes the gate narrow or broad? That the narrow gate is the gate that treats each other as we want to be treated. And the broad gate, perhaps, is the one that does not do that and sets my needs above the needs of another. And if we were to have a little like saying above each gate, above the narrow gate and above the broad gate, I think the narrow gate would say, you before me. And the broad gate would simply say, me before you. For to treat each other as we want to be treated is to treat each other in the fullness of love. It is the abiding in love of John 15 that I spoke on two weeks ago. The truly loving is the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us. Love God, then love each other. And in really doing one, you also are doing the other. For the divine light, the divine spark, the divine image is set in each one of us. So when we love each other, we then love God. And when we love God, we love each other. For we love the divine that is set in each person. The you-before-me gate. The gate of love. But what does it mean to treat each other as we would want to be treated? And as I was reflecting on this, I thought, you know, an essence of that would be this. That we would want to give each other the same opportunities we each would want for ourselves and for our children. And really, when we think about it in that way, giving each other the same opportunities we would want for ourselves and for our children, it is a form of justice. That when we love each other in this way, we are are loving in the way of justice. And in fact, we could call this the gate of justice. This way of treating each other that says all are equal and all should have the same opportunities in life. But, Jesus said, this is a very narrow gate. It is a hard road. However, it's the only gate and road that lead to life. A life of justice for all. Now, I mentioned two weeks ago uh, about um, John 15 and how Christians have misused that verse. John 15 being Jesus saying, abide in me. Jesus talking about abiding in me. In His love, And I commented on the fact that Christians have misused this verse by saying that it means to not abide in Jesus and Jesus' love, but they say it means to abide in Christianity. That we have to abide in Christianity, and if we're removed from the vine of Christianity, we wither. But we have misused that because Jesus does not say abide in Christianity. He says abide in me and goes on over and over again to say abide in me. In my love and model the love that I have modeled for you now Christians have misused this passage about the narrow gate as well in a similar fashion to say the narrow gate equals Christianity that only the Christian way is the way and all the others lead to destruction and often this is equated with heaven and hell right The narrow gate of Christianity gets you to heaven, but the broad gate of all the other things leads to hell. But that is why it's so important for us to connect this verse about the gate to the verse beforehand about how we are to treat each other. Because Jesus is talking about achieving justice by treating every person with respect and love, and he's saying it's not too easy. And when you do not enter in by the gate of justice, the gate of love, the gate of compassion, you will surely find yourself on the path to destruction. And history has proven Jesus to be very right on this point. When we don't treat people as we desire to be treated, people become others that can be used for our own advancement. Or others we need to compete against for what we think are the scarce resources of this life. And to truly treat people as we want to be treated has not been the path that we have chosen throughout our history. To truly love in a just world where all have equal opportunities is not an easy road. In fact, it's extremely difficult, and we are resistant to it. But Jesus did not say, take up your picnic basket and follow me. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, there's dramatic proof of this lack of justice for all can be found in the recent opening of the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. If you haven't heard about this, it's a memorial honoring victims of lynching that opened up in Montgomery, Alabama just this past week. It has 805 rusting steel columns with the name on the bottom of each column of a county inscribed on it where a lynching happened. And on each of the columns themselves are the names of all who were lynched in that county. And they hang from a ceiling, evoking the lifeless bodies that they represent. A memorial such as this has been as much needed in our country as as the Holocaust Museum in DC. And there's a museum that opened up um, close to the memorial as well that is a journey through our history with slavery and lynchings. We have not always treated each other as we would want to be treated. We have not always given opportunity, the same opportunity to everyone in this country. Now, as uh, I've been saying, and as you heard two weeks ago if you were here, and as you heard me about the announcement about the white privilege discussion, discussion, uh, at the beginning of this month, I was had the opportunity to be at what is known as the White Privilege Conference. And uh, it's had a great impact on me, and I've been thinking about it and unpacking uh, the meaning of white privilege and my understanding of it. And I think to begin to understand white privilege, we must realize that white people and white Christians have not treated others as they would want to be treated that we have not provided equal opportunities for people of other skin color, or religious background, or sexual identity, or gender differences. And so my current understanding, or working definition, of white privilege uh, is this. As a dominant culture, white people have defined the norms and have set up the rules in such a way as to benefit a certain white outlook that is predominantly male, successful, cisgendered, able body, and that oppresses anyone outside that norm, including black, LGBTQ, disabled, Native Americans, poor white Americans, and other traditionally marginalized people groups. As a result, it's easier for whites to get jobs, go to school, live in the neighborhood they want to live in. It's easier to navigate society and have power and use that power, sometimes to oppress others in such a way that often perpetuates inequality and the distribution of wealth and resources. And the result of white privilege can be seen in these facts. It's far less safe to be a black male rather than a white male in our society. It's less safe to be a black female than a white female. And it's even less safe to be a black person who identifies as LGBTQ. You see, in our cities, Black people are often deprived of opportunities for housing, education, and employment. And lack of these basic opportunities created what David Stovall, an African-American activist from Chicago, spoke about at the conference as containment zones. We've created containment zones for black men to kill each other because they lack these opportunities for housing, education, and employment. Are we feeling uncomfortable yet? At least my white brothers and sisters? Or defensive? Or angry? Are you planning your, your, your angry email to me in your head as, as I speak? I mean, if we're being honest, I hope we're a little uncomfortable. I hope maybe we are getting our shackles. And we're, I hope we're maybe starting to think. But let me ask you to do this. Don't check out. Stay engaged. Sure, track the discomfort in you and why it's there. Acknowledge it. It's real. But stay at the table for a little while longer as I speak about this. Because another reality is that white privilege gives many of us the space to walk away from the conversation as soon as we get uncomfortable. You don't have to stay in it. You can choose to engage or not engage, and that is privilege. And there's a term to what white people often feel when confronted with these realities. White fragility, and, it's a, and here's the, uh, the, this is not my definition now, this is a Wiki, Wikipedia definition of white fragility, is a state in which even a minimum amount of racial stress becomes intolerable, triggering a range of defensive moves. These moves include the outward display of emotions such as anger, fear, and guilt, and behaviors such as argumentation, silence, and leaving the stress-inducing situation. But I invite you to stay in this space if you're feeling that. Because I've felt that when this has been presented to me. Stay with the discomfort, stay with the anger, stay with whatever you're feeling. And remember that the road to true life is hard. And it's going to cost us something. Look, I've dealt with my own white fragility over the years. And fragility in general. (laughs) I have protested against the idea of white privilege in my life. I've said some things like, Hey, some of my best friends are black. And I voted for Obama twice. <laughs> and I'm not a racist, and it's not my fault. I've said all those things. I've felt all those things. But really, that last one, it's not my fault, that's the weakest one. Just because something is not my fault or your fault does not mean I should not try to do something to correct the injustices that have been done. It does not mean I should not identify with those injustices that were done by people that I am descendant from. Just because I did not personally go to Africa and enslave black people, does not mean I get a free pass on the whole racism problem in America today. You know, it took the Catholic Church 350 years to apologize and recant for condemning Galileo. 350 years. They, because I don't know if you, you, you remember this from your history, but Galileo was condemned by the church for believing that the earth was not the center of the universe. And that for, he was condemned for believing that maybe, maybe the earth went around the sun and the sun didn't go around the earth. Now, uh, pa- Pope John Paul II um, recanted this uh, for the church on on condemning him back in 1992 after a 13-year investigation. (laughs) I could have wrapped that up in about 10 minutes. (laughs) Let's see here. You guys uh, said that uh, the the sun is the center of the universe and you condemn Galileo for believing something different. I think we need to backtrack on that, folks. But 13 years later, they did. So we have to own who we are by identifying with our past, both the good and the bad. We're not disconnected from it, and we're still impacted by it and influenced by it. As a result of our past, we live in a world where people are still not treated equally, where there is a lack of opportunity for certain people groups, and where there is not liberty and justice for all, as stated in our Pledge of Allegiance. Okay, so what can we do? It can be overwhelming to consider all the work that needs done in dismantling white privilege, white supremacy, and racism. And you can end up with that kind of deer in the headlight syndrome and end up doing nothing. But Let me just tell you this. Everyone has a voice. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. We all have our places of influence with family, at work, school, in our communities. And we are all gifted in different ways. You don't need to be someone else. You just need to bring the fullness of who you are to this work. You need to find your voice and do something. The founder of the White Privilege Conference, Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., jokingly uh, made up a word uh, one of the first uh, times he was speaking before the conference. He said, vaction. Vaction was his new word, his action word, is vaction. He said he talked about how all people want to do is vent, right, and complain, and and spout off, and few actually take action. So if you're going to vent, he said, you better back it up with some sort of action. I think that's a simple and true word. So next time you're about to let loose on Facebook, right, Ask yourself, what is the one thing you're going to do to back up those words? The one thing you're going to do to maybe make a difference. Look, everyone has resources to leverage for racial justice. The Jewish activist Paul Kivel handed out a list of possible resources that we can use in our social justice work. And you don't have to save the world, but we can all find ways to make our part of the world better. Better with our social justice work. On that list are things like our money, our time, our skills, uh, our contacts, our space, our access, just to name a few. The one that resonated with me was, put your body on the line. By that he meant, like, show up at rallies, at vigils, at protests. And I realized, you know, I could do a lot more of that. I could be present more often. So one way you can be present? If you're interested in more of this conversation, if you haven't um, checked out or left the table, you can be in touch with me about joining the conversation we're going to have about white privilege. It was going to be tomorrow, but it's going to be a week from tomorrow on May 7th. Send me an email. Tell me you want to be involved. Because we can't live, those of us that are white, we can't live in our white fragility, feeling guilt and shame and thinking there is nothing we can do. There's plenty we can do. We need to enter by the narrow gate. The you-before-me gate. The gate of love, compassion, and justice. And we need to remember, it's not going to be easy. It's a hard road, but that's the road Jesus says leads to life. The other gate, the wide one, the easy one, the me-before-you gate, that's the one that always leads to destructive things. Like racism, sexism, genocide, xenophobia, and inequality. And So how can we enter the narrow gate? Well, one, I'd encourage you to do this. Educate yourself. If you're unfamiliar with white privilege, if you've been put off by, by this, uh, uh, this sermon, uh, educate yourself. Learn more about it. And I'd be glad to have more of a conversation with you about it. Read books. Check out the White Privilege website. They have the White Privilege Conference website, I should say. There's probably a White Privilege website I don't want you to check out. <laughs> but the White Privilege Conference website has resources there. (laughs) Or pick up a book, uh, like Tom, uh, Tom Cox mentioned, uh, James Cone. James Cone, uh, African-American theologian, liberation theologian, who wrote The Cross and the Lynching Tree. He wrote a book that I read in seminary, The God of the Oppressed, and Black Theology of Liberation. Read a book by James Cone. That, yeah, that's why, that's why Tom brought him up. Yeah. Um, and so, and build relationships. I said this, you know, two weeks ago, but build relationships with people. Uh, relationships diffuse so much of our bias and prejudice. You know, be attuned to the spaces in your life where there's diversity and where you have relationships where you might be able to press into it more deeply. Ask your friends of color to tell their story and listen deeply. And if there are no spaces in your life, whether that diversity is. Just uh, non-judgmentally, just ask yourself why. And consider where can you go to develop a space of diversity in your life. And then be willing to say these words. Tell me more. Instead of responding immediately with anger, with defensiveness, with your, your three-point rebuttals, ask somebody, tell me more. Why, why do you think that way? What's What's behind your thoughts? What's your story? And then ground yourself in healthy, meditative, contemplative practice. I think that's what Jesus did. To engage in the work that he engaged in, he went off to be with the Father. He sat in prayer and in quiet and gathered with just a few. He spent that time in that kind of intimate space with the divine that enabled him to go and do the difficult work that he had to do. And find your voice. We cannot do everything, but each of us can do something. And to those, uh, to that last point, I want to end with this, this poem. If you still feel like, oh, man, I was just, I don't even know what I could do. There's, there's just so much to be done. What small thing could I do would make even a difference? Here's a, here's a poem called, Stubborn, ounces to one who doubts the worth of doing anything if you can't do everything. You say the little efforts that I make will do no good. They never will prevail to tip the hovering scale where justice hangs in balance. I don't think I ever thought they would, but I am prejudiced beyond debate In favor of my right to choose which side shall feel the stubborn ounces of my weight. Let us pray. Holy, gracious God, we give you thanks for this day, for the blessings that are ours within it. And pray, God, that we would indeed begin to treat each other as we would desire to be treated. Pray, God, that we would begin to work in the world in such a way that there would be equal opportunity for all people and their children and that, indeed, there would be justice for all. And pray, Lord, that we would not be overwhelmed, but that we would be encouraged to bring whatever we have, whatever few stubborn ounces we can, and offer the love of Jesus to others as he calls us to do. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.